Our scripture reading this morning will come from Psalms chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. You can find that on page 483 of your pew Bible. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It is good to be together this weekend, this holiday weekend. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for in this nation, as already mentioned in the prayer that was prayed earlier, to think about the freedom that we enjoyed and that great declaration of independence that was signed and our forefathers of this nation that put their life on the line. And many of them uh, suffered immensely because of their sacrifice to sign that document. And then we think, as also mentioned in the prayer, the great sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ uh, to purchase our freedom. And, and let's make sure that we always appreciate our freedom that we have as a nation. And, and I hope that you've said an extra prayer to this weekend uh, for all those that are giving their life in service uh, to providing freedom uh, today, I think about Ray Burchett. I hope you've prayed for him uh, ongoing on a daily basis, but especially this weekend as we think about the wonderful, wonderful freedoms that we have and for his good family that's making sacrifices and others that serve uh, in the military and other places of perhaps not quite as much conflict. I think about uh, the, the freedom that we enjoy in Christ and what a blessing that is. And let's not ever, ever take that for granted. For that's the greatest freedom that we'll ever experience. It is exciting to think about this month. July is the month that is slated for the new building to be completed. And to think of being able to move into uh, new classrooms. I want to tell you, after walking through that space, I want to give my prediction. I think that what we're going to appreciate almost as much as the new classrooms is the corridors that tie all of our existing building together. It is absolutely amazing to have that extra space of walkways and of connecting one part of the building to another part, and then the elevator is going to bring about so much convenience. But probably a little more important than that are the extra classroom spaces. If you can imagine our existing education wing, you cut it down the middle of the hallway. That's about the same square footage, about half the width and all three levels and the same length. That's the addition of classrooms that are being added. And think of at least two really good-sized classrooms on every floor. Or if we pull partitions, we can have as many as, as additional eight or ten classrooms. And that is really, really going to be a significant benefit uh, for our adults education especially that has been scattered here and there and just trying to put classrooms in every place. Continue to be prayerful. What a wonderful blessing uh, God has given us in this. But also keep in mind one of the blessings is some slight renovations 
to the existing education wing. And if you're a teacher this morning, you're going to notice probably that some things have been shifted and moved and, and literally taken out of many of the rooms, then placed back in. And, and it may not be exactly the way you left it. And we hope that you can be uh, patient with that and persevere over the next few weeks as paint will be added to many of the hall, all the hallways and to some of the classrooms. And then carpet will be coming also over the next few weeks. So I just want to encourage you teachers uh, to be patient with that and, and also uh, try to get here a little early for Sunday and for Wednesday so that you'll have time to go through your classroom and make sure that, that you have what you need and things are put back in place the way that'd be best for you in teaching your class. Chisel 2. Chisel was a great success last year. It's the first time we had this 48-hour experience for our young men where we tried to show them no matter where what they decide to do in life, God has given them an ability, and we wanted to challenge them to use their ability for God's glory. Our goal was to take them to many places, many ministries, many experiences, so that they could see how men were using their lives in God's service. We'll do that again beginning this Wednesday, 1 o'clock to Friday, 1 o'clock. We have about a total of 22 to 24 slots. Over half of those are already filled. So if you have a high school or college student, or if you are a high school or a college young man, be sure and give me a, a piece of paper today with your name on it so I can put it in my pocket and reserve your place. If you haven't already reserved a place and you don't do that, be sure and email me this afternoon, david.shannon at mountjuliet.org. And, and let's be sure and be prayerful that as much good can come out of this as last year. I think that last year far surpassed any of our expectations. It was really, truly one of the highlights of my year. And uh, I look forward to being with these young men again. We are blessed tremendously with some wonderful, wonderful young men in this congregation. We think about the goal of living passionately and being able to love completely. But if we had one month to live, we would probably also want to learn humbly. Surely there would be some things that we would say that I need to learn better, that there are things that it could enrich my life if I could gain access to this knowledge. You know, as we think about how limited our knowledge is and how great God's knowledge is, it's interesting to think about the Hubble Space Telescope. It was launched about 17 years ago, and since the time of its launching, it has orbited the Earth 100,000 times, and it's taken over a half a million images and reported those back to to our uh, headquarters here in America. And many of that data, of course, has been processed to give us insight into outer space that we never had previously. For example, there's just a little black hole above the Big Dipper. To our naked eye, it just looks like just the littlest space. But yet, with this telescope, we found something out back in the 90s. We found out that that's not just a little hole, that whenever we can see through that hole, we find that there are galaxies, not just a few, and not just a few hundred, and not just a few thousand, and not just a few million. Because of what is seen now through this telescope, it is an estimated 125 billion galaxies in our universe. Isn't it amazing what we don't know? Isn't it amazing what God knows? Why? Because God made it, has already been capably read, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man? Isn't that interesting to look at the galaxies and look at the sun, the moon and stars? And the psalmist understood this. I know that that's the fingerprints of God. 
And we look around in nature and we see the, the birds that have hatched out recently and they begin to fly. And what do we see? We see the fingerprints of God. We see our own lives and we see our children. And what do we see? We see the fingerprints of God. And if we had one month to live, not to place an emphasis on death, but to place an emphasis on life, what is it that we would need to know? Friends, as much as anything, we need to know who is our Creator. If we live this life, if we live our life, if we live a month, if we live a week, if we live a day without the conception of who is our Creator, we as the creation will never be able to live a regret-free life. And that's what our goal is this month, is to study and to talk about how to live a regret-free life. So that one of these days, if a doctor comes in and tells us, you only have one month to live, we won't make major changes in our life. We've been living that kind of life for years and years and decades. But maybe there is somebody here. Maybe there's several of us that if we were to reflect back and say, I only had one month to live, we'd make major changes. Well, now here's the question. What would those changes be? Or if we're living a regret-free life, what are those reminders? What are things that we need to always keep in the forefront of our mind? Number one, I'd urge you not to be fake. If you would be turning to the book of Romans, Romans the first chapter. And the way we're using this concept of not being fake this morning is the idea of, of like a fake ID or a fake presentation to the world about you. Or, you know, sometimes we even present ourselves as fake as we look to the, the person in the mirror. And so we want to think about, let's not live a fake life. Instead, let's live a genuine life. Well, how can we do that? Now we're back to the introduction this morning, and that is we have to know who is our Creator. Look, if you will, in, in Romans, the first chapter and verse 20. For since the creation, this is Romans 1 and 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Now, I know this doesn't stand out as much in our our English Bible, but I want you to notice that phrase, things that are made. That Greek word there that that phrase comes from is only in the Bible one other time. And it's very interesting to me that here through Paul, God speaks and he says, I want you to remember, I made everything. And if you'll just look about you, you will see me. Now, we're not in this lesson trying to go through and improve creation versus evolution. But he is referring here to the very concept of design. Where there is a design, there must be a designer. And so God is saying here, look at the things that are made. They were designed. They were created. Who's the designer? Who's the creator? And we finish this by saying, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. But then we go over to Ephesians, the second chapter and verse 10. Ephesians, the second chapter and verse 10. And we see this very same word used again, except this time the word describes another creation that God makes. For we... This is Ephesians 2 and 10. For we are His workmanship. There we are. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First he says, look at the creation of the earth and you'll see God. And now he writes to those of Ephesus because they're faithful Christians. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Ephesus and he says, listen, 
We are his creation. We are his workmanship. But notice, this creation here has been created because of what Christ Jesus did for us. In other words, now we're living a new life because we are created in Jesus Christ. He's talking about this new spiritual life that we have. Where we're not going about as a fake type of identity, but we're very genuine in the life we live. In other words, we're not religious on Sunday, but you'd never recognize that on Friday night. It's not that we make great comments in a Bible class on Sunday, but you'd never know it by the way we did business on Monday. It's not that we act like Christians when we're around Christians, but yet when we're around those of the world, we're far from it. It's not any kind of fake hypocrisy. Instead, we're genuine. I like the way Paul says it, and we don't have a slide for this, in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, he says it this way in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Isn't that wonderful? A new creation? How? If we're in Christ, He will create us. What will happen? All things that are old will be done away with. We will become a new creation. As we think about this new creation, it is truly, truly humbling to think that the Creator not only made us in the beginning, but if we will allow Him to, He will continually work on us. What has God created in you in the last month? How are you closer to God than what you were a month ago? What have you done this past month that maybe you wouldn't have done a month ago? Are you still allowing the Lord to create you? Who our Creator is and us staying aware of that and being genuine greatly affects the way we live each day. I saw an email several years ago, and it's rather long. I'd like to just cut right to the chase and just tell you the heart of the email. And I'm sure many of you read this very same thing. It does make us think. There was an atheist and a Christian who were sitting side by side on a plane, both of them older gentlemen, and they began to spark up a conversation that was a very friendly conversation about the differences in, in themselves because one being an atheist and one being a Christian. But yet the Christian had his grandson with him and the grandson had been so polite and kind and gotten a few things for the, for the grandfather and, and helped him with any kind of needs that he had. And at one particular time, he even said, Grandfather, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go. And he said what he was going to retrieve for the grandfather. And when he went to get it, the atheist said, Well, I'll tell you this. My grandson would never treat me the way your grandson treats you. That's pretty impressive. And the Christian gentleman explained, You see... My grandson understands that his creator is God. And that's changed him. Whereas your grandson probably thinks that he came from an ape. And that's changed him. Friends, when we know who our creator is, we then are in line to learn, humbly learn, so much that He has in store for us. When we see on our little children's meals, bags at, 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 at Wendy's and McDonald's, and they're talking about the earth being millions and millions or either billions years old, you know what they're trying to do to our children? They're trying to get our children to not understand who their Creator is. Oh, they may not be doing it intentionally, but that's what's being done there. 
Because any time we fall for evolution, what we're doing is we're losing our very own identity. And when we lose our own identity, it's going to, have, it's going to be hard. It's going to be impossible for us to have a life that's truly worth living. Secondly, I'd encourage you to have a mindset of no more wastefulness. Let's be productive. When we think about this, I'd like for you to turn back to Romans, and let's go to Romans, the 12th chapter. You realize that God has made every one of us unique. He's given each of us abilities, not all the same, but He gives us this because He wants us to be productive in His kingdom. There's a work, a purpose in our life that's greater than our own life individually. And to be a part of something that's greater than ourselves, and to be a part and to realize that even our life is a part of something greater than us because it's God who gave us our life and it's God who gave us our abilities. I'd like to read three different passages very quickly to just remind us of how God has given us certain abilities. Look in Romans the 12th chapter. I'm going to be reading verse 4. He says, and following for his... We have many members in one body. See, the body's a church made up of many members. But all the members do not have the same function. We don't have the same abilities. Let's continue reading here in 5. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts. See, the word gift is used to place the emphasis on you didn't go out and buy your ability. You didn't go out and acquire your ability. It's what God gave you. It's a gift that he gave you. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he begins the list of gifts. Isn't that interesting? It's from God. Everybody has at least one. They may, and they are different gifts. And yet all of them are to be used for the benefit of the body. Look at first Peter, the fourth chapter, first Peter, the fourth chapter and verse 10. I don't believe this topic could be taught more concisely than what it is in this one verse. Every phrase teaches a different aspect of this. Look in first Peter four and 10. As each one, how many has received? Each one has received a gift. It was given to them. Minister it. It is given to you so that you can serve to one another. Not so you can serve yourself, so you can serve one another. As good stewards, we will give an account for how we use this, of the manifold grace of God. Word grace means gift, manifold means multiple. And so he has given many gifts in multiple areas. In other words, he's given one person one ability, another person another ability. And we are all to take this and not to waste our life, but we are to be productive. We are to use our life in his service. If you would be turning back. Now to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. And let's see this very same teaching in 4, 5, 6, and 7. Therefore, there, he goes through the, the Godhead here, which is real interesting parallel here, the way he lays this out. 1 Corinthians, 12th chapter, beginning in verse 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, But it is the same God who works all in all. Now pause there. We're going to read seven in just a minute. But you see what he does there? He says, listen, just like there's one Holy Spirit, one Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, one God and and Father of all, there's only one, but all of these gifts were given various gifts. We carry out various ministries. In other words, various servanthood. You know, there's a big difference in those that go down and help rebuild houses for Katrina relief and those that, that, that go in and, and make a teddy bear uh, to give to a child that needs comforting. 
You say, which one's most important? It's not a question of which one's most important. That's not at all a discussion in the mind of God. It's the fact that there are different abilities, different ministries. And notice he says, thirdly, there's different activities. What you do over here is going to look a lot different than what you do over here. Now, are we going to argue about which gifts are the best? That's what Romans, the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th chapter is all about. Is he saying, stop your jealousy. Stop envy. Stop your bragging. Stop your boasting. All of the gifts that we have, all of it's from one God. Well, what are we supposed to do with this gift? Notice verse 7. He emphasizes it again. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to, how many? Each one. Why? For the profit of all. I want to challenge you. I'm sure in this audience that probably 99.9% of you go out and do good for other people on your own. I think that's the way you're made. I think that's the kind of people you are. But I want you to notice about every one of these passages that we read about using your abilities. He continually spoke of the church that we are to use our abilities together. It's like one body. We use our abilities together for the profit of all, talking about each other, especially in the church. I want to challenge you, if you don't have a ministry that you have committed to, and you're going to serve in that ministry whenever the needs arise within the life of this church, you're robbing yourself of a wonderful gift And that is to use your gift in the exact way God has designed for it to be used. But then also you're robbing the church family because your gift is needed. And so I'm not saying stop doing good individually. I'm simply saying keep in mind that God gave us all the gifts and our abilities so that the function of the church could be without handicap. It could be without any kind of hesitation because everybody is fulfilling their place. If I had a month to live, I would want to know that my life in that month and the life of the church was a blessing to the church. Friends, which is most important to you? That your life individually be productive or the congregation that you're a part of is productive? Wow, now that's a question. Sounds pretty selfish if you say, well, I want to make sure first and foremost my own life is productive. Wouldn't the body of Christ take precedent? Now I know we're splitting hairs there. We're trying to make application. But the bottom line is, I'm not going to have the productive life that God has designed for me to have if I'm not concerned with how I'm using my life and my abilities in the congregation that He has placed me. Every passage we read emphasizes that just now. Look with me, if you will, to Romans the 12th chapter, and let's ask a third question here. Romans the 12th chapter, as we make application, no more worldliness. No more worldliness. As we think about being transformed, I'd like for you to notice this quote. Let's go back a slide there. When we think about transformation, one of the greatest illustrations of transformation in nature is the caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And here's what Trina Paulus said. How does one become a butterfly? 
You must want to fly so much that you are willing to give up being a caterpillar. It's interesting. It's interesting to think about where transformation begins. Does it really begin with a desire? Or does it just begin with action? Well, let's see where the Lord taught that this spiritual transformation began. Look in Romans, the 12th chapter and verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world. That's shaped or molded by the world. He says, don't do that, but be transformed. Now notice he didn't use the same word conform here. He didn't say, well, be conformed by something else. He says, instead, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What a powerful statement Paul makes here to say, I want you to transform. And the idea of transformation means from inside out. If your idea of Christianity is, you know, I I want to act like a Christian. I I, want to uh, be honest. I I don't want to steal or cheat or... I want, to, uh, I want to speak well. I want to speak highly of others. I want to speak optimistically. I want to speak with hope. I don't want to lie. I don't want to curse. I want to be moral. I want to take on the habits that God has taught to, to protect my life and others' life with proper moral behavior. And so then, is your idea is, I'm just going to start a checklist. I'm going to start working on these things. If that's the case... You've missed the whole beginning of Christianity. Our conduct is the result of the transformed life. And the transformed life begins within where the mind says, I'm going to change. I'm going to change who rules my life. I'm made after the image of God. And I want Christ, this is back to point number one this morning, I want Christ to form me. And I want Christ to form my mind and my heart. And I want to think with the mind of Christ. I want to have a heart like the heart of Christ. And whenever the first change that takes place is inside, and there truly is a sorrow and a repentance from within that says, I don't want to sin against God. I want to be on God's side. I don't want to be an enemy of God. I want to be a child of God. That begins the transformation Notice on this next slide a few of these passages. Look at Psalms 46 and 10. A lot of the time I think we think of this great transformation and we immediately think of all these things we've got to do. We've got to change this. We've got to start doing this. And friends, no doubt a Christian's behavior is going to be very different from the world. But where does all of these principles fall into it when we read, for example, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. When's the last time you were still and you reflected on God's Word and what He wants you to be and then thought about it, meditated upon it? Or like the old favorite 23rd Psalm, remember verse 2 and 3 after it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to do what? Lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Or when we go to Philippians, the fourth chapter, notice he talks in the earlier verses in 6 and 7 about whether or not we're going to be anxious. Let's be anxious for nothing. And then he talks about at the end of 7 
that would have that we can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding and it will guard your hearts and mind. How? Through Christ Jesus. Well, how's this going to come about? Look at 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true or noble or just or pure or lovely or good report, if there is any virtue, if there is any praiseworthy, anything praiseworthy, meditate, notice that word, meditate on these things. And what's verse 9 conclude with? The things which you have learned, that's the things you meditated upon and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and what? The God of peace will be with you. Friends, if we had only a month to live, surely we would take some time to think. To think about our Creator and the identity that we have in Him. To think about our purpose for life and the gifts that He's given us and how would we use them. But also to think about this transformation, this new creation that is supposed to be the result because Christ is now living in us. In the previous chapter of Philippians, in Philippians the third chapter, He says in 3 and 4, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, to rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. And then he talks about the things that he no longer will boast of, but if they can be used for the gain of Christ, he'll use them for that. In other words, what was Paul saying? Paul is looking at this new transformed life and he's saying, I don't find my identity in these outward things that I used to boast about. I used to boast about my lineage and about my education and about my zeal and about all that I was accomplishing in my life. Now I would only use that if it were to the gain of Christ. Friends, Satan would love to steal your identity. Jesus has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But in that same verse, Satan is there because he is a thief that is trying to steal us away. Satan would love for you to forget who you are. He would love for you to start believing that you're the car you drive. That you're represented by the neighborhood that your house is in. He would love for you to believe that you are your career. That you are whatever you can do athletically. He would like for you to lose or even for Him to steal your identity so that you would stop seeing yourselves as a transformed person. If someone walked up to you, not in a religious setting, and asked you, who are you? Describe yourself. Would you describe accomplishments and possessions? And if so, I ask you this. Who are you if they're gone? Who's David Shannon if he gets some kind of disease and can never speak again? And he no longer preaches. Do I cease being a person simply because I can't preach? You have a wreck on the way home. 
and your health is taken away so that you no longer function to the degree that you function today, you never go back to your job again, are you still you? Something happens and you don't live in the same house ever again because you could never afford it. Are you still you? I hope all of us here this morning can say, what I do and my possessions do not define me. I am a child of God, transformed into His image, spiritually as well as physically. I'm His creation. If we can accept that, we're ready for any doctor to tell us you have one month to live. When we're ready to live that, we're ready for the best life that there is to live on this earth. You know, when we began this series a few weeks ago, we wouldn't have thought of Michael Jackson or Steve McNair passing away or the hundreds of thousands that have passed away in that same time. Do you know, one of these days will be our last day. And I hope that we're not living now trying to see how close we can be like the caterpillar, the world. But I hope that we're living saying, you know what? There is a huge difference in a butterfly and a caterpillar. There is a huge difference in a world and Christianity. And I'm not trying to see how much I can make Christianity look like the world. I like the fact there's a difference. I like the fact that there's a new life. I like the fact there's a transformation. And I want to cling to the one who has transformed me. And I want to turn my back to the one who would love to destroy me. And I want to live for him. This morning, where's your life? Is your life in such a state that you could say, I'm ready to die? Then we're ready to live. And if it's not, why not make yourself ready to live today? If you've never been baptized into Christ, why not this morning? Or if you have and you've lost the way, why not come back? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.